Right on radio. Right on radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Patriots Perspective. I have got a guest today, and she is holding the line in District 6. Yes, we are talking about the awesome Sandra Menzieri, all the way from District 6. And man, Sandra is going to be over helping over $7 billion. That's billion with a B for the Miami-Dade school system. Yes, that is exactly what your tax dollars are going for. And $7 billion with a B. And we are just hoping our teachers actually get a raise so that they stay on board. All while some of the schools that have gone under renovation just here recently are falling apart. And you can't even make this stuff up. I'm going to show you schools not only here in Miami-Dade, but we're also going to show you schools in the Dominican Republic on the top of a mountain and show you how they compare. You won't even believe it. You won't even believe what's in your backyard. So just sit tight, hang tight here with us. And Sandra, how are you doing today? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you. I am grateful that you're here. And Sandra, first of all, before we get started with this whole school system thing, because I want people to understand who you are. I didn't even know who you were until we started met in the green room a few moments ago. But tell everybody who you are, where you're originally from, and what made you do this whole school board thing. Uh, the last few years have been really eye-opening. I mean, it was already bad enough before, and this has just brought everything up to surface. Uh, my name is Sandra Mancieri, like you said. I've been a teacher with Miami-Dade County Public Schools for 21 years. Prior to that, uh, I was in the shipping business. I was in the shipping business and I made a living, but uh, I didn't spend a lot of time with my little girls and I wanted to have a schedule that was more flexible to spend time with them and to uh, be more involved with their school. I've always been very involved in my children. So I uh, quit my job and I went back to school 
at 35 to become a teacher. I went uh, uh, to the high school that's in my district and I got a job as a secretary because I wanted to work in the school system while I was going back to school. And I became a secretary at a district six school, Master Academy. And I went back to school to get my bachelor's uh, from Bear University. And then I continued to get my master's from the University of Miami. And then I continued to get my ed leadership from FIU, all while working full time and raising my Wow. Then maybe I had another baby at almost 41. My, <laughs> uh, raising my three kids and uh, being a wife and going to school and but it was it, it's amazing. I, I love teaching. I, I love children and I love working with families. I, I, I've, I've gone through the ringer a lot with the school system because I have a special needs child. And it was very difficult to get him services, even though he was at a top-notch school. And I was a teacher at the school where he attended. You would think that would be easy, right? Yeah. Like, I thought I could have that little perk, you know, of yeah. like a there are. I don't think there are any perks, right? <laughs> it, it was very difficult to navigate the system. And even being inside, I felt like I, I could almost uh, get a law degree in school law of, after everything. It was like sleepless nights before you have an IEP meeting. You always felt like the there was like a team that was for and against. And you always have to wear, you know, battle armor when you go in there to, because you always feel like they're working against your kid. And they make you promises, and then those promises don't come through. It, it was it was hard, but um, thanks to school choice, I was able to take him out now, and he's at a uh, private uh, parochial school. And a child that didn't learn to read until he was in fourth grade is now an honor student, and he's doing amazing. Wow! Mm -hmm. wow. And that's so, because you actually had a choice of where he went to school. Well, because we have. Uh, choice in, in, in Florida and you could take your dollars to uh, schools, private schools that accept the scholarship, uh, I was able to do that. If not, I don't know, he would be in a, one of the giant high schools with like 3,000 kids that I, I feel he would be lost. But that's, that's why I believe that there has to be choice for parents, especially parents of, for all parents, but especially parents of children with special needs, because I don't feel that uh, it's for everyone. Every child, there's not a place for them in a lot of our schools. Right. So that's so a little, I teach first grade currently at uh, Key Biscayne K-8, and that's uh, Miami-Dade County Public School in District 6. I've been at this school for 11 years. Uh, I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of things there. We, you know, it's a wonderful school and a wonderful community. And these past few years, I've I've been very vocal about um, how the school has changed and how it's not so welcoming to parents anymore. How uh, volunteers, vetted volunteers, are not allowed to go in. How the needs of specific students are ignored or delayed until the parents complain. It's 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 just been difficult how uh, the whole COVID thing uh, was used to keep families out uh, on the guise of COVID. How yeah, speaking of that, can you talk to a little bit about what actually happened in the school system um, during COVID? One of my a couple of my neighbors are teachers as well, and um, I don't know any of them that were happy, you know, during the processes and how 
the entire situation. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and call it the pandemic because that's exactly what it is. I can prove it um, from the government on down of <laughs> what was actually happening. Sandra, that does not mean that you agree with that. Um, our, our perspectives may differ there. Uh, but for those people that know me, they know it's absolutely a pandemic. If you would like the information on why I say it was a pandemic, just email me at patriotsperspective at gmail.com. Uh, Patriots Perspective News, sorry, at gmail.com. So, Sandra, can you tell us what happened in Miami-Dade school system and, you know, how how different situations were handled? Well, I remember in the beginning of March 2019 when they closed down. Was it March? I believe it was March. They yeah. closed down, they shut down, and everybody went virtual. At that time, I was teaching middle school. I was teaching middle school 6th, 7th, and 8th grade uh, language arts to ESOL when they shut us down. And uh, they had to, they put together some uh, virtual program. I thought that the virtual program never works. But they were able to access, the teachers were able to access, and then they had to Russian, okay, well, use the materials that you have and all the resources that you have. And, and we had to basically try to replicate a classroom doing it from our house. And it was very hard. I mean, we've never done this before. We had no real training. I think we had one day of training the day before the school shut down. <laughs> and um, it was possible. Hold on just a second. There's something with our audio. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? For some reason I'm echoing. Okay, so I may have to come back into that after. Okay. Do you still hear an echo for me? A no. little. Okay. So okay. Uh, it, was, uh, it was it was it was very. I I saw it in my own son trying to do the lessons by himself without the supports that he's supposed to receive in school because he had an IEP. Uh, how do you give a student speech and language if you're from home? How do you give a student a uh, uh, reduced assignment or a one-on-one -on -one paraprofessional support when when the child is at home and the parent? not aware of how to help them or the parent is working. Uh, it was just very, very difficult. It was very uh, planned. It was a uh, very last minute, uh, fly by the seat of your pants. And then children were coming, not coming in. And, and it was like, don't grade them. It's not their fault, you know, that they So it was, it was, it was a mess. So lack of education is definitely what they were trying. Like, it, it seems to be that was a big thing that they were trying for. Well, I, I don't know if that was the motive. I can't attest to that, but right. I saw the results of, uh, of of what happened with the whole COVID because this year I had students that had never been to school. I had students that had never, that came from other states, that came from other countries that had, because I teach first grade, had never attended pre-K or kindergarten and they were way, way behind. So teachers had to work so much harder without receiving Court. Uh, our our uh, state guarantees that children that are working below must receive a certain amount of time of uh, structured and uh, using a program, a specific program of remediation to support them and to bridge those learning gaps. 
That's guaranteed statute. That's right. But it falls on the teacher. The teacher has to find the time to do it. And there's only so for many- 35, For 35 students? Well, if you have 25 20, students? Imagine how are you going to do that for, for the ones that are the lowest performing students when, it's, when you're by yourself? Yes. That's one of my big that I would like to push for, that every school needs intervention. And some schools may need more than one intervention. Can you, can you repeat that again? For some reason, the audio is like really spotting out. Every school requires trained interventionists to help support these students. This cannot fall on the shoulders of teachers. It's, it's unfair and it's, and it's unfair to the children. And it's a lie. It's a lie because a teacher cannot be everything. No, absolutely not. And when it comes to when it comes to teachers and students, um, the other thing that I noticed they were trying to do because I had a goddaughter here, and um, they were she had not started kindergarten. They were trying to put her in the first grade or second grade. First of all, they were trying to put her in the second grade, and she had not even gone through because she was like a late starter in kindergarten anyway. Because there's you know an issue where. You know, in Miami, a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of people from other countries and they were having immigration status with her father. Her mother didn't enroll her in school and um, she just didn't get started on time in kindergarten. And then she was severely you know, delayed. But you can't not have a child go to kindergarten. People may not think it's important for the teacher, but the children are taught a lot in kindergarten, just about general life situations right that's that's exactly what i faced i had to basically teach like three years in one year now my kids got uh, amazing they did they did very well you know but it was extremely extremely difficult but i also work at an affluent neighborhood uh in an affluent school where i would tell the parents look i'm gonna do the best i can but you need to step it up too maybe get them a tutor maybe get them more books i put them on reading programs all these types of extra but what about the mom who works two jobs and doesn't speak the language and can't afford a tutor? Right, exactly. And you know, one of my neighbors is a teacher um, at a school in the little Haiti area. And she started telling me about their library had burned down and that there was no, uh, the library wasn't even being rebuilt. The children had no books to read and check out to take home. And um, that paint was literally falling off the walls. Well, we had a beautiful media center and, uh, and, and a media specialist, and it was fantastic. And then uh, uh, we lost that position. And uh, basically our library closed for months and months and months and months until I believe at the end of October, parents were so vocal in writing to the paper and going to school board meetings that they opened up the library again, but without a media specialist. They had a clerk that would part-time as a cafeteria uh, monitor, as a security guard, and then she would check out books. So it, oh, and sometimes she would cover classes, go on field trips. So it was very haphazard. Well, I know we have some photos of an interior of a school of Miami Dade, but first of all, I would like your response, Sandra. I'm going to show you, I'm going to add to the stream and I'm going to have to mute probably one audio. So it may sound like my audio is going to change. Mm -hmm. um, so let me just.
can you hear me now, Sandra? Yes. Okay. For some reason. Okay, here we go. Yep. Sorry, everybody. Is that okay? So it's not working for me to mute one and then the other. So let me, me try. Yeah, you know what? Mute yourself when this video is playing because I'm gonna just try to do a, a voiceover of what's actually occurring in the video so that people can kind of understand. And let's see exactly how this is gonna happen. No, it's not going to let me. Hold on. Let's see. Basically, I'm going to have to post those on. I'm going to have to post those on my Telegram channel. So forgive me for that. Something that I wanted to try to show you. But I definitely want everyone to go on and look at the school in the Dominican Republic because it's very clean, tidy, painted. Looks really nice. The children have order. This classroom really looks great. And this is a school on a hilltop in the Dominican Republic with probably 50 students max in the entire school. And um, I was really shocked, Sandra, to see your photos that you sent me of things that I'm gonna ask you to kind of walk us through. I'm about to bring up the photos and um, I'm gonna share my screen and you're gonna tell us all about these photos because mm -hmm. this is, to me, absolutely unbelievable that we have this in the Miami-Dade school system. So our school is a barrier island and uh, there's a lot of humidity, there's a lot of uh, rain, there's been damage uh, to the roof probably with some of the storms, but uh, there's really no excuse for, I believe any school in Miami-Dade County anywhere to not be painted regularly. This was the door of my classroom, which I went to Home Depot, took the chips of the paint and, and bought the paint myself and stripped it and repainted it. That was- So you were not reimbursed for this at all? Well, we're lucky to have a PTA that's very supportive. No, but I'm talking about with our taxpayers because uh, when I look up my tax bill, I'm spending well over $1,200 on a $4,000 tax bill just on the school system alone. Um, it is the highest ticket item um, on the tax bill or one of the highest ticket items. So when I find out that your classroom looks like this, and Sandra, how old is the school? Um, I, I believe that the school was built in the, but it's been retrofitted several times as it grew. And the last uh, retrofit was done in the, uh, dur during the last uh, bond that they passed, which was about 10 years ago. That's a classroom in uh, our building four. And that's, uh, that's my old classroom actually. And uh, it's still, I was complaining about that when I was in that classroom like six years ago. And I see that it's still the same way. And I asked my friend, please send that to me. Yep, the leaks are still there. What they do is they come out, they change the tiles, but they don't fix the leaks. So it just happens again. Wow. Wow, this is, and so this is just the, the same classroom? Uh, no, you're, you're seeing about three classrooms. 
So there, there are multiple classrooms that look like this. And that's just who was kind enough to share with me because some teachers don't like to right. share. <laughs> yeah. Some teachers, you know, they think they're going to get themselves in trouble if they share. Right. So basically what the children are in is open ceilings, which that means there's dust falling. Um, and as a taxpayer, when I'm looking at this, Sandra, I'm thinking we have to be losing some amount of AC because, um, you know, believe it or not, there should be some insulation between this, the um, roof, these tiles, you know, protecting the, the um, AC pipes in some way. I mean, it's typically not good. It's not a good situation when this is occurring. Um, and then when I'm looking at this image, I'm going, okay, there, there has to be some concrete repair done because there mm -hmm. is obviously water in the wall. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which means that if there's water in the wall and it's not fixed, that means the doors get rusty, the doors don't move. And before you know it, a small problem ends up turning into a big problem. Some of the windows don't feel correct. Uh, there's just a lot going on. The air conditioning units that were purchased recently, my classroom's air conditioning unit, which was uh, 10 years old, broke twice this year. Finally, after being in a hot classroom for a little while, I had to move to another classroom. Uh, it's it's just, I don't believe that our schools are being maintained properly. I really don't. And yet when the school board will go and take a picture of kindergarten class, reading a little book, and they don't notice as they're in the hall, uh, what's going on in the school. So Sandra, tell everybody, because, you know, when, when people are going to vote, um, one of the things they're not paying attention to, first of all, what is this here? This Those are just holes of things that they removed and fixes it. They just never patch it, right? Like these are just things that they don't patch. Okay. Tell us what this is really quick. And then I want you to. That's a thing. And, and that's a wall that was just painted uh, when they redid the whole uh, uh, building. Uh, and uh, it's just damaged. And then the kids, kids are kids. They go by with a pen and they all are with a pencil and they pick at it or, uh, and, and you can see that the custodians, the poor custodians who are not, uh, zone mechanics are trying to patch it up, but there's it has to be professionally done so that it's yeah, this is basically not primed. I mean, I can tell you this is not primed, the yeah. walls have just simply not been primed. And I will tell you, I mean, there's great partners, um, you know, like Sherwin Williams that will come out to schools for free, they'll give them you know, a special discount. Um, they will um, come out and tell you exactly, when I say they'll come out for free, they'll tell us, tell you exactly what paint to use to mm -hmm. cover this up. And also to make sure that there is not lead. Oh, look at this big chunk. So mm -hmm. a kid could literally pick that up and eat it. Wonderful. <laughs> That's great. And then as a designer, I always wonder like, where do they get the colors? You know, right. hideous. <laughs> hideous. it's yeah. hideous. It's bad. It's bad. So Sandra, tell us, you know, with the school board, what their responsibilities are in this circumstance. So now you're a picture of my district. That's my district, District 6. Uh, it's a very large district. There's, it covers very different communities. There are very affluent communities and there are very, uh, and there's Title I schools in less prominent neighborhoods. There are schools that are predominantly immigrants with ESOL, uh, ESOL students, which are uh, 
students that are learning the language, but it is the duty of the school board to ensure that all our buildings are not only safe, but that they are clean and that they are maintained because if not, they are wasting those taxpayer dollars that you spoke of earlier. Uh, yeah. When they have to replace an AC unit that costs probably uh, five, $10,000, uh, which is uh, 10 years old, that's your taxpayer dollar because it's not being maintained. I don't know what is going on because I've had my AC for over 20 years. It works perfect. You've had your AC for how long? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, and we're exactly. That's and uh, we just replaced an AC in a in a unit that is oh gosh, I think it was the AC unit had been there since 1968 or something. You know, like literally it was it was over 40 something years old and actually yeah, older than that even. Um almost 50 years old and it was still working because it had always been maintained. So maintenance is super critical here in Florida. We know that, and, and it also doesn't cost as much to, once you maintain, it doesn't cost as much to rebuild or repair as they might say. So let me ask you as a teacher, how many times have you seen your school board members like inside the school, walking through, like seeing what really needs to happen? I've never seen them. I've seen them there. Uh, in our superintendent, our previous superintendent, uh, Alberto Carvalho, I've seen him. He's come to my class to visit. I've seen, uh, our current school board member, they come. They come to speak to the administration. They'll come and visit a class during a special activity. They'll take pictures. And but I've never I'm not saying that it hasn't happened, but I've never seen them ask an administrator, give me a report on. I myself have this current superintendent about the problems in my class. I had a leak one time on the sink where the water was just dripping, 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 dripping for weeks. I would fill up buckets for the uh, garden because I was hating throwing water and we would use it for our little vegetable garden. We would collect the water ends. I complained about that numerous times. I complained to this current board member about paint and about the maintenance of the building. And Speaking of that, is it 311 that people need to call to complain to their school board members? Because, you know, the one thing that's really that's really kind of crazy is when I've gone to try to get, you know, even um, any documents requests based on FOIA requests from the school board, it's very difficult to know where to send those documents requests to. Um, the websites don't appear to be maintained. Um, they don't even have the right information. The emails often bounce. Um, so it's very interesting how they seem to, you know, not really have a method um, to report things, you know, for your child. Like, in other words, are you supposed to call 311 just like you are? I don't, um, I think that 311 is for homeowner or I don't think it's for the school. The, the process that's in place in the school system now is that you put in a request. Uh, so that who does, you know what I'm saying? Who does? The teacher, anyone can put in a request. Um, How? How can they do that? That's what I want to, I, I want us to, like, listen, if you see something, if you're, if you have a child in Miami-Dade school system and you see something that needs to be repaired, please do what Sandra's saying. So Sandra, what do they do? Right every, school, every school has assigned zone mechanics. These are zone mechanics, uh, people that come out to repairs, to maintain, uh, and you can put in a request for paint. You can put in a request for, I don't know, an electrical socket that's not working. You can put in these requests. 
but I have found that I mine have never been addressed so unless it's like a critical, you know, crazy mm-hmm. thing. I haven't found that they're addressed or unless it's something that's already on their list. Every year I have painted my own classroom because I'm very picky and I like it to be clean for the kids. Uh, I have a whole toolkit in my class of things that I fix myself because I have found that they just don't maintain the buildings the way that they're supposed to. And what is an average um, teacher's salary at Miami Day right now? I can give you mine, but all of that is public record. Uh, I've been in the classroom for 21 years and I have advanced two advanced degrees. And my salary right now is $64,000 a year. So you're a painter, you're a mechanic, uh, you're <laughs> a mechanic in some ways, a counselor, <laughs> depends on which hat you're wearing, right? <laughs> which is, which, you know, as a teacher, you know, you're, you're going to do a lot of things that aren't part of the scope of your profession and that's accepted, but this is taking it too far. I, we should be able to go into uh, clean, safe, well-maintained buildings to do our job. And we shouldn't have to beg and send pictures and complain for, for this to happen. Now, where the blame lies on that ultimately is uh, the school board members uh, who, whose responsibility to ensure that the administrators uh, at the regional level, at the district level, at the school level are maintaining because they are actually the the caregivers, aren't they? Of They're taking care of this for our children. It's their responsibility. Well, let's just say this. Um, how many school board members are there total in Miami-Dade? Nine. Okay, so you roughly have almost a billion dollars per school board member. Not quite. I mean, we have a $7 billion budget, nine members. So if you divide that up, they almost have a billion dollars each, guys. I mean, we got to think about it. What does that mean? I'm just trying to do some quick math in my head. Roughly $800 million is is the rough amount that each person would somewhat. I mean, I know it's not divided equally like that. Okay. But I'm just saying it it, it is, you know, if you just think about the few, the number of people that are on the board um, and you have to ask yourself, you know, like, why do these school board especially like the incumbents, the person you're running against has been in office for 45 years? Well, she's been in districts for 45 years because okay. she's different capacities. So she started as a school teacher and then she became an administrator and then she became a district employee, a district director or a regional director. Like she worked her way up. So okay. Them for many, many years. She's been in, on the board since 2016. Okay, mm-hmm. so she's she's uh, she seems like a very institutionalized candidate for the school board. Who I was, I'm not going to badmouth her because she's a public servant that has been in office for many 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 years. But I do believe that when you've been in service this long and, and you've separated from the actual day to day of what's happening in the classroom, it's it's hard. It's hard. And we need to listen to the teachers that are in the trenches. And I'm in a great school, so I can't even imagine what's going on in some of these other schools. And I see that the teachers and parents need to be vigilant and we need to make sure that these custodians, the custodian, I don't mean like the actual custodian, like that are charged with uh, taking care of the 
facilities and ensuring that your children have every service that they are required to have by law are actually doing what they're supposed to do. Because uh, you hear them talking on the school board meeting and you would think that they're all like amazing and that everything that's happening is superb and that, you know, we're on fire here, like everything's awesome. But is anyone really listening to the teachers? Is anyone listening to the parents? Is anyone really going into the classes where those teachers are struggling day to day to provide the services that are guaranteed to those students? Uh, are they really going into looking at these buildings and making sure that the administrators that are there are maintaining properly? And if they're not being maintained properly, why? And if there's not enough money, then why is there enough money? Where is that money going? Uh, have you looked at the budgets? Have you identified? Um, have you identified in in the in District Six um, some of the budgets and where you believe some of the money could be? You know where where you could utilize and, and reconfigure some of the budgets that to get some of these things fixed that are basics. Uh, <laughs> well, the major part of the budget goes to salaries, right? to salaries and benefits. We know that because we are the, I believe that we're the largest employee employer in Miami-Dade County. We employ a lot of people. It's a huge district. It's the fourth largest district in the United States. We have about 390,000 students. It's a huge district. But I do believe, like for example, I'm gonna give you an example as a teacher. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a teacher in the classroom, but there are, are hundreds of positions that are working outside the classroom that are supposed to support. Uh, some of those teachers need to come back to and support instead of offering the training or doing other- You're gonna have to repeat that once more because you were it, it, it's spotted out on you, I'm sorry. Okay, so in the district, there, there the majority of the money goes to salaries and, and benefits. We, we all understand that because we're such a large- But there are teachers and then there are- out of the classroom, which are teachers off of assignment that are doing other things that are classified as teachers, but they're not actually in the trenches every day providing services. They might be doing professional training or they might be working at a, a specific department like a reading department or a mathematics department, ESOL department providing support. We need teachers in the classrooms to support right. So they're training other places, whereas, I mean, I remember when I was in, even in elementary school, middle school, the teachers trained in the classrooms with other teachers so that they could be in the classroom. The only other, the a matter of fact, they were called student teachers. I remember them being there all the time. Like, I don't remember them training outside the classroom for the classroom. So is that, no, what, is that what's occurring or am I under, misunderstanding? I think you misunderstood. What I'm thinking okay. is like, get a teacher for 20 years a position with the reading department at the district uh, training uh, working on curriculum or working with a uh, training teachers or uh, offering curriculum support or different things like that so okay. there are a lot of teachers that are teachers that are off of assignment they're not teaching in the classroom which we need those too but I right. wonder looked at the numbers to see how many because a lot of 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 we need support in the classroom especially now after COVID, that our kids are so far behind i don't need a teacher to come and tell me how to uh, uh 
I don't know, use a program or, you know, I could figure that out for myself. I need a body. We need bodies. We need people to actually support in the classroom. Well, can you tell us a little bit about um, a little bit about the union and how the union plays a role or plays a role or doesn't play a role in, with teachers? Do they actually help you? Um, how do how does the union work with Miami-Dade school systems? I'm not a union member, so I can't to that, but uh, I know that the majority the members of our youth are, are, are like uh, other employees. Uh, there are a lot of teachers that don't belong because the fees are very high. Some uh, teachers love the union. I, I, I don't want to pay them a thousand dollars because I work hard enough for my money and uh, I don't need anybody to defend me because I don't break laws. I don't, uh, I do my job. So I believe that most teachers get as like a security to, uh, for protection, but if you're doing your job and I have always tried to work very hard, I don't feel I need it. it that's just my personal opinion. Right, exactly. So when it comes to, when it comes, you know, to masking children, you know, these are, these are some hot topics that parents have, you know, they don't, a lot of parents now do not want their children mask. How do you feel about the whole mask policy that occurred during COVID? And, um, you know, if you knew now what you knew then or vice versa, how would you vote on that? Um, I definitely believe in parental choice and, and that a parent should decide whether their child should be masked or not. But that's now. At the beginning, I was scared. I didn't know the, uh, making masks for my friends. I, I sew. Uh, I I shipped masks all over to my family in Brazil, to family, friends in Australia, the United States. I made masks for little kids, for colleagues, for teachers. We were all very scared and we thought that this was the right thing to do. But when this decision was made by the board, did they really think it out carefully or was it just politically motivated? I don't know, but I saw lots of problems with masks and I would take pictures of the masks on the floor, of the masks filthy full of boogers, of, of the students switching masks, using the mask as a koozie for their water bottle, stepping on it and then picking it up and putting it back on their face. Uh, in the playground, I remember one little boy would use it as a hammock and he would catch lizards. <laughs> <laughs> a lizard, he, he was creative. <laughs> so I, I would take pictures and I would post and I would tag the superintendent saying, look, look at your masks working. Are your masks working? And then when they were masking children during recess, I was also very vocal because these kids are masked all day and then they were force masking them in 90 degree heat outside. And uh, that's not, I don't believe that they thought it out carefully. And then teaching, try to well, teach muzzle on or try to teach phonics to a child they're, they're being muzzled. Uh, it was very difficult and I don't think that it was thought out. And then they, they basically uh, led parents to believe that there was actual social distancing in the classroom and that uh, there were safety measures in the classroom. Uh, the, the, the custodians don't have time to do all their work on a regular day. Do you think that they're really gonna be able to come and clean everything uh, like three times a day? Like they were saying that they're cleaning all the door handles it, it, it was a lie. Well, it's almost like a joke when you're looking at these, the, the way the school is even being maintained. It's like, I would be more worried in that school if my child was actually eating paint 
or getting lead. I mean, honestly, I really would. I would be worried more about the lead and um, about uh, other things such as, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought when it comes to uh, when it, asbestos oh, okay. in school with it being older, you know. So you would think that they would, you know, because, you know, when they're, when those ceilings are open, it allows the asbestos to actually fall down. So if I were in your school, I would be, you know, if, if you start having a lot of allergies or breathing issues with kids in the classroom, it's probably from the asbestos um, from the school if the school has not been tested for asbestos. So um, that would be if I were, you know, I, I learned that in my daughter's school um, that was a little older in Georgia. Mm. And you're originally from Georgia, did you say? No, I at the child's. Oh, no. you live there. Okay, okay. For some reason, I was thinking that you said that you were from there. So um, from Georgia, in Georgia, there were, in the school system there, there were, you know, a pretty big problem with asbestos um, in the in the classrooms. Um, and even, you know, just the buildings as a whole were, that had not been treated. So when I look at the, the condition of the school, that's one of the questions between lead and asbestos. I mean, because considering they're you know, they want to deem everything with lead unsafe and you're having to sign your life away um, when you buy real estate with lead in it. You know, uh, they have to disclose everything to you. I wonder how many um, parents they've had sign a lead disclosure saying that, you know, that your child is going into, you know, a lead infested or asbestos infested school, which I, I think is very interesting. That, I, I, I can't speak to that. I, I, no, I understand that. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but I know that uh, a few years ago when, when, they, when they were doing the retrofitting, uh, parents brought up that concern. But honestly, I don't know uh, what the results were of that. I That'd really interesting. That would be an interesting thing to find out mm -hmm. uh, uh, on, a, on a bigger, grander scale because that, that is a big deal because it affects children's breathing, learning. Um, it affects a lot more than we think. Um, because it is chemicals being released in the air. I mean, so um, when it comes to when it comes to your stance on what you're going to do, what what do you see happening if there were, let's say, a perfect situation where you know we have a changeover of some of these older, um, more institutionalized candidates that have been you know in the board or let's just say selected for the board from outsiders that maybe aren't really good for our children or good for the community because anytime we have children that are growing up without an education it affects the entire community uh, how do you see being able to you know or, or what are some of the the biggest things that you can see you guys being able to change if the public happens to vote in you know like the perfect group of board members um what will you guys what do you think you would like to do first my, my, I, I'm going to have to be honest with you. I'm going to go in there and I, I, I don't know because uh, I'm just learning and I don't pretend to know everything. I, but I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to work very, very, very hard. Uh, what I can say is what I believe need to be priorities. What needs to be priorities is our students' special education. We need to stop forgetting about them and saying we are providing services are not providing that's mm -hmm. not those children are the most fragile in our society and the ones that require support and there is not an all universe for them they have to function in our world 
And we need to stop saying that we are giving them the service that we are not, because it is possible uh, for a child to receive. I mean, if you've ever read it, it sounds like Disneyland. It's like a beautiful. And as a mom of a special needs child, I can tell you that those uh, things are many of them written on paper and it doesn't happen. And a parent, I, I, I was a parent from the inside that, that thought she knew the system and it was a struggle. And we are duping parents into believing that their child is really receiving these services. And unfortunately, uh, there are many parents that don't speak the language or parents that are uh, from low socioeconomic uh, uh, neighborhoods and, and, and they just don't know what their rights are. And we need to step up because that it's just wrong. What kind of humans are we if we are uh, letting down our most needy? That's a, an area that is I'm passionate about and I will fight for. Uh, another area that I think is very important is we're training all these kids like they're going to Harvard and they're not all going to Harvard. They're not. And it's okay. It's okay not to go to the university. I have a daughter that graduated with a degree in anthropology, couldn't get a job, worked uh, in retail until she went back to school and became a nurse. Very happy. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to destigmatize alternatives to a traditional four-year college. Children are growing. These kids are growing college. They can't get jobs and they won't be able to buy a house in Miami-Dade County uh, with some of these low-paying jobs that they that they're get with the degrees they're getting. Uh, and another area I feel is very, the support for teachers. We need to uh, making teachers responsible for everything. Uh, a teacher can't be the the psychologist, the uh, math teacher, uh, reading teacher, writing teacher. We can't be every. We need to support our teachers. And by support, I mean like actually have bodies in there supporting the teachers and have uh, administrators that make schedules, that administrators that be accountable, that are held accountable. How are your numbers? How's your day? Who's, what are you doing to intervene? That work. Let's try something else that we have support in these schools, keep our media center open, provide challenging classes to our middle schoolers, not just uh, the basic, and, and give them uh, uh, real uh, classes to take like uh, experience in the real world. Uh, I remember when I was school, I took sewing and home economics and mm -hmm. with the kids freak out. They've never seen, never seen someone don't have to look at because everybody's like a two-finger typer. Yeah, they don't. They don't know that you you used to have to put like a little bar over your typewriter, and you couldn't look down. You had to look up. I remember my teacher, Miss Abrams. I'll never forget her. She would say, "Feel the keys, ladies." That yes. it was. We were all girls in the class, just boys. Yes. But uh, but these are things that we've. I don't know why we've lost our way and we've made it uh, like a bad thing. And I know so many people that make so much more money than I do are very happy and, and they didn't do the traditional route. And uh, it's okay. Uh, we need to destigmatize that. That's another area that is really, really, really. Well, you know, as a business owner, this is something that I feel like people always forget 
and especially, you know, sometimes public servants, you know, some have owned their own business, some have not. But one of the biggest things is culture amongst the staff, you know, and I feel like a lot of times that gets lost because, you know, like if you go in and you're able to, you as Sandra, you're a teacher, you know what you would have liked to see in leadership, right? Mm-hmm. You would have liked to see maybe open communication with um, this Mary Ro- Rojas mm-hmm. and, you know, you being able to communicate with her and say, you know, we really need this so that she can try to find a way to get it for you. The open line of communication and the company culture, because no matter what, you're still working for a company. You right. know, long date is a company. Your clients are the students and the parents. Exactly. And have to answer to your constituents. You have to. Now, in our school specifically this year, we had a lot, a lot of problems with, uh, you know, parents were very vocal about demanding uh, better and demanding access and demanding services. And and uh, some people might think, well, who do these parents think they are? Or, or you know, this is a public school. But that's not my way of thinking. My way of thinking is absolutely, why do we want parents to be engaged? We want parents involved. We want them to have pride in their school and to, to be permitted access to their children's classroom. They're, they're paying for it. I, I, well, you I, know, one of the smartest things uh, as if they, if, if any of these school board members had been business owners prior, you know what they would have done? They would have said, thank you for volunteering. When can you be at the school? And when can you, you know, get a group of parents together? Because we have no money, but we need, you're right. We do need to solve this problem. Hey, let's see if we can go to the paint companies and see if we can get, maybe get some sponsorships in exchange for putting a logo on the wall to let people know where the paint came from. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like sometimes they're not thinking outside the box. And I even hope some of you know, some of the other school board members, people who are running, people who may be elected, may listen to this and think, well, gosh, I hadn't really thought of that. Because, you know, there's a lot more ways to skin a cat than mm-hmm. to just skin the cat, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to make it happen. And we have to think outside the box whenever there's not enough money or there's, you know, that, you know, to work together in some way. So, you know, I was really surprised when I saw some of the school board footage of them pushing the parents away instead of going, you know what, that's a great idea. Hey, when can you be there to help us implement it? Yeah. You know, it was very, uh, it was, it was very disturbing to me as a mom, but also as a teacher, because I've always uh, loved to have uh, parents in my class. Some teachers don't, and that's okay. You have your right, you know, not to, to have parents if you don't want to. But I find that it, it, it having another box help you to, I don't know, to do a science project or do a, an art activity or uh, just to, to come in on the for a celebration. I mean, we used to have, it was such an involved community. We used to have uh, uh, shows and uh, Christmas shows and holiday shows, and awards assemblies, and, and then all of this ended. And then it was like pulling teeth to get anything back. And I just, I didn't understand why. I, I couldn't, unless you just didn't want parents to see something. I, that's the only thing I could think of. Because if you have nothing to hide, right. You had nothing. <laughs> if you had right. nothing to hide, you had nothing. 
but that's the thing. It, they do seem like they have something to hide. And that is the scary part is that they brought in um, social emotional learning. Can you tell us what, about your stance on social emotional learning and what's going on with that right well, now? I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a psychiatrist. And I, 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 we have those in the school system. Why does every lesson have a social emotional component? it was it was it was just very and how it was like uh painted like something really good and positive and feel good but i never honestly really saw the point and it was a for me like it took away time from my instruction when my kids were two years behind some of them right uh, and and as a teacher these things uh i believe you speak of naturally like how's everyone doing Did you have a nice weekend is everybody okay oh why are you sad those are natural things that happen in the classroom you don't need some like phony structured uh curriculum that's just my personal view yeah and then um what about the critical race theory well they they say that that there's no critical race theory but i was very vocal about uh after the george floyd uh uh uh, incident which was tragic and what happened in our country it was terrible and after that happened there was a, a push to to put in this like social justice uh curriculum that was uh placed over the summer uh, to to provide su supports for teachers to talk about these difficult subjects and i hadn't seen it until i went in there and it was linked to all kinds of uh things that for me were, were very disturbing it was a uh, uh it wasn't called critical race theory, but they were directly linked to BLM uh, and and their foundation. And it was about children becoming activists. And it was about uh, a lot of things that are very delicate and that I didn't feel comfortable discussing with six-year-olds. And uh, it, I don't like the way that it was snuck in. You know, I, I don't know if they included teachers in this curriculum. I was not included. Uh, but I was happy when they said that it wasn't mandated, that it was just a resource if teachers wanted to use it. But that's, but sadly though, I mean, sometimes you get a teacher that you don't really like for your child. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to say like as a taxpayer, I don't think they should be trying to implement any of that on any students. I mean, in my opinion, you all are there, you know, as teachers in a teacher role, you're there to teach them academics, not. And, uh, I believe that it needs to be presented information in an unbiased manner. Right. That's what I believe. And 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 I voiced that and I said that the, the this curriculum that was offered was very politically motivated because I believe that those organizations were political organizations are linked to political ideologies that uh, are not uh, our American values, I believe. And I questioned it and uh, I was given like a long slew and I need more training and that it, yes, it's very hard to speak about these subjects, but that it's the obligation of teachers to discuss these difficult subjects. And honestly, some of those areas, I just don't feel comfortable discussing with children. And I think that those things can be discussed in the home. They're, they're very hard for me. I, 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 I opted out. I did not use those materials. Yeah. Well, I made sure to tell the teachers that I knew you're not forced to use. This is a resource that's offered, but if you, you, you don't have to. 
And I, I don't know about other schools, but in my school, I don't, I didn't know, I don't know of anyone who actually used it, but it was there. What about the library books um, that have any amount of pornography or any mentions of sexual connotation or those books that are in the Miami-Dade school system library? Because I'll tell you, I could not, under a FOIA request, I've not received a full list of approved books for the Miami-Dade libraries, school libraries. I know that there has been a lot of, uh, of press lately and a lot of parent involvement lately about a curriculum that is uh, deemed inappropriate and language that is not developmentally appropriate for students. And this has been brought up in school board meetings uh, that parents, that there needs to be transparency in the curriculum and that they can't just approve uh, these uh, books without consulting with parents, you know, and letting parents know. And I know that several chapters of several books were removed, but it was all uh, when it was brought up. I mean, if, if no one would have noticed uh, this, you know, they, we would have these books. And sometimes these books, you sign a contract with uh, publishing companies and you have them for a series of five, 10 years. And they're very, very, very expensive. And I'm going to say this as a citizen journalist and as parents out there, one of the things I'm going to recommend is that you track which companies it is that if no matter which school district you're in, which companies the textbooks are coming from, who's writing those textbooks and who's behind the money funding them. Because in many circumstances, we're finding that Soros open foundations are um, the ones funding these textbooks, the same people who are creating the riots, who are, um, basically funding and trying to usher in communism are the people who are writing the textbooks. So um, we all need to stay on the school boards about things like that, um, making sure that they know, because Sandra, you, you know, you've even said like, you, you know, there's not enough time in the day for everybody to do everything. So, you know, in the right tone, will you listen to parents when they come to the school board and they're saying, um, there is an opportunity, you know, or, or when they're presenting evidence that maybe the school books are from a source that the majority of Miami citizens would not agree with, considering the majority of our citizens are um, from Cuba, from Venezuela, from countries that have basically turned communist, what feels like almost overnight to them, according to their stories. Um, you know, I, I believe we have to listen to all of those stories and take heed and um, listen to each other in terms of, you know, whether it doesn't matter who's researched it or what their political party is when they're telling you this is an organization that is funded by communists, we cannot have their school books in our schools. Well, I will definitely listen to those parents, but as a school board member, it would be my obligation and my duty to listen to all parents. And this is something that has to be debated and it has to be de debated in a civil manner. We can't, uh, if I disagree with you, I can't call you a racist or a, a, a bigot or a white supremacist, uh, just like the other way we, if I disagree with with someone on the other, I'm not gonna call them a communist and a Marxist. And we need to learn to communicate because uh, these uh, ideologies and these, uh, I feel like it's purposely dividing us. Mm -hmm. And right. it's away from what we, what we value. Everyone wants their child to get a good education. Everyone wants their child to be happy. 
everyone wants uh, buildings that are safe and clean. And all of these other agendas are being injected that uh, I believe are not healthy for, for, for us as, a, as Americans, for our children, for our future. We really need to, to work hard to, to not allow people to divide us the way that we've been divided. We've been divided in such a nasty, nasty way. And it's impacting our children. We have yeah. little that are talking about topics that I feel are not developmentally appropriate and uh, just uh, taking political stances that I politically at all involved when I was a little girl. We right. didn't know about these things and this is being like injected into them. Uh, I remember that during the election, I had a little boy that, that said, my mom loves Trump and, and everybody looked at him like he was the antichrist. Mm. And, and and I don't I don't know what happened that uh, we don't respect each other and, and value each other and, and listen to each other. Everyone has something uh, to bring to the table or an opinion. Everybody's not. We have more. Time. We need to learn. That. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen. I thank you for being on today. Um, I want to make sure that everybody does get out and vote for you. Can you tell them about the critical dates? Um, for voting and um, all of those details. Okay, my name is Sandra Manzieri. My ballot number is 133. I just got my ballot number. <laughs> uh, I am on top, so I'm the first candidate, Sandra Manzieri, because it's an alpha order. <laughs> I'm here to represent District 6. I'm taking a pay cut. I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm a passionate uh, advocate for education. I'm a product of education. I love children. I love help. I um, I hope you vote for me on August twenty third. It's primary election. It's general election. School board August twenty third is the primary. Yes, twenty yeah. third, and I believe that early voting starts the second week of uh, August. And you can request your mail in ballot as well. Remember one three three Sandra Manzieri, District Six. Awesome, Sandra. Well, listen, and I think you're approved. You've already had the endorsement from, you've got endorsements, as I understand, right? Do you? I know. <laughs> A few? No? No? We don't know yet? <laughs> okay. Endorsement from our governor. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think maybe, you know, when they see this video, that could help, you know, drive the endorsements. Uh, are there other things or how can people follow you on social media? What can they do to reach out? Do you have a website, any of that information, or can they help you campaign in any way? Or, Well, I thank you for that. I'm, I'm very grassroots. Like I said, uh, this was just a teacher that saw a need and leaned in, and I parents that have supported me in my community and my family and my friends. I don't have $175,000 in the bank like the income. I don't what? have- Hold on, wait, wait, wait. How much? $175,000? Yes. Wow. I wish I had gone over her list of donors. Um, where's it's, the money coming from, Sandra? Uh, well, I looked at a lot of uh, real estate and construction companies and uh, interesting. A lot of uh, packs, big packs that donate to her. Uh, In state, out of state. Uh, I, from what I saw, it was all local. Now, remember that school board races are nonpartisan. Uh, mm -hmm. But 
I don't know where that money's coming from, but she has a lot of it. Uh, I am a grassroots candidate. I probably have raised $10,000 <laughs> and I am desperate for fundraising. I'm making my own t-shirts on a cricket machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and uh, let's see what happens. So they well, could Sandra Manzieri six is my uh, uh, handle on the, uh, Instagram and on Facebook and my website ready yet because I'm working volunteers or bottom, bottom, bottom dollar. Like, so uh, it's going to take a little time for my website to be up. San so you said they can follow you at Gary six, Sandra Manzari six. So basically at Sandra, her first name, last name six for yeah. district six, Sandra, it's been an absolute pleasure. I do want to tell you one idea. Mm -hmm. Because of where your district is and that everybody's always coming and going, you should have your volunteers out on a Saturday or better yet Sunday as people are crossing over to and from the Biscayne, I mean, from the Key Biscayne Rickenbacker Causeway. That's true because all the people go to the beach. Yeah. You don't even need anything else. You don't need, you just need signs and a lot of people out there holding them at a time. And you'll be the only candidate doing that. Hopefully your incumbent doesn't get our idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that would help you tremendously uh, because, you know, there's so many people that cross over. My building is right there and I see the traffic constant all day on Sunday. So I out there with a flag, with an American flag for the longest time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He stands there on the corner. I was going to say, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can go talk to him and he'll even hold the sign for you. T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, really. I mean, that's, it's like the perfect place because there's so many people there. Well, thank you very much for being on. If you guys have any comments, please feel free to ask Sandra comments in the, in the comments below, or you can find her on social media and be sure that you follow PatriotsPerspective.com. And Sandra, I thank you very much for being here. God bless thank you. you. Thank, thank you for you. stepping up to the plate and running. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. So that was a pretty amazing interview uh, in terms of, you know, learning a lot about the Miami-Dade school system, uh, about what you can actually do in terms of your own school system. This is just an example because I'm here in District 6. I wanted to interview Sandra. I definitely think that you should take the time, you know, to do exactly what I've done and um, interview uh, people in your neighborhood. And I want to thank you all for being here, listening, and um, do remember to hit the like button, the rumble button, wherever we are, <laughs> and God bless you. And remember, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That is right. And we're going to say, hola. Have a great night, everybody.
Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on 